It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. I'm Will Kane. I'm Dana Perino. I'm Greg Jarrett. And this is the Fox News Rundown. Monday, December 11th, 2023. I'm Mike Emanuel. The border crisis is heating up with no end in sight. The Democratic governor of Arizona is venting her frustration and asking the White House to reimburse Arizona for what it's costing her border state. But House Republicans say money will only go so far without policy change. Today, it's per $512 million, the $5 billion that the uh, mayors are asking for uh, tomorrow. Uh, the way I see it, it'll be $10 billion if we don't actually change the policies that incentivize illegal immigration. I'm Chris Foster. More people are taking and now giving their kids melatonin to get to sleep. Overall, melatonin is is well tolerated in kids if it's dosed properly, but it, it has to be uh, well thought of as why you're giving it. And I'm Rabbi Sam Bregman. I've got the final word on the Fox News Rundown. When the calendar turns to January, Republicans will be fully focused on Iowa, the first presidential contest on the GOP calendar. After campaigning in all 99 Iowa counties, Florida Governor Ron DeSantis says he will beat expectations. Well, we're going to win Iowa. I mean, I, what's happening on the ground there is cr- incredible. It totally defies what the D.C. media is trying to do. A new Wall Street Journal poll out this weekend says Nikki Haley would beat President Biden 51 percent to 34 percent in a head-to-head matchup. Haley says her focus is on the polls in the early states that show her campaign is surging. There are a lot of issues, and that's why we're surging in Iowa, New Hampshire, and South Carolina, is because we're talking about the issues that matter to normal people. Meanwhile, in Washington, Congress continues wrestling with funding for Israel and Ukraine, with House Republicans demanding more border security before focusing overseas. White House Press Secretary Karine Jean-Pierre defends President Biden's handling of the border. This is the president from day one that has taken this issue very seriously. You've heard me say over and over again, when on this first day in administration, he introduced a comprehensive immigration law, a comprehensive immigration law. And it's been three years. And guess what? Congress has failed to act. But Republicans say the president and his team have the tools they need to enforce the border. And it is time to get serious. First and foremost, I see the the situation at our southern border as truly affecting the safety and security of every American. Congresswoman Ashley Hinson is an Iowa Republican. The Biden administration really likes to talk about their immigration policies being rooted in compassion, but um, I see nothing compassionate about the open border situation we have and the human trafficking that it is enabling. So um, we have heard many stories of innocent kids being trafficked in some cases, recycled essentially at the southern border. They are repeatedly being used and abused, and it is frankly disgusting. So um, a a former Border Patrol agent actually recently confirmed to Congress that traffickers are targeting these kids under age 14 because we don't fingerprint them. So what my bill does, it's the Prince Act, it really empowers our Border Patrol to fingerprint these kids under the age of 14 at the border, um, which will 
hopefully prevent this heinous child trafficking that's happening and the child recycling. So um, that's my main goal with this legislation. And um, as a mom to, to 10 and 12 year old boys, you know, the last thing I want to see is other kids being taken advantage of. And um, mm-hmm. just breaks my heart that uh, the Biden policies have really enabled this to happen and take off. You know, our television cameras capture what's happening at the border a lot of times. Uh, We also have television cameras capturing when migrants show up in places like New York City. I'm curious what the impact is in a place like Iowa. Yes. Well, and we had to go to battle with the Biden administration a few years ago when in the middle of the night they dropped a plane load of people in Des Moines, Iowa. They tried Mm -hmm. to cover it up and lie about it. Um, and then uh, congressmen and, and our governor started asking questions. And finally, they had to come around and admit that, yes, they had done that. Um, the impact to Iowa also comes in the form of the drugs that the cartels continued to uh, pass through. Uh, talking with our local sheriffs about the impact of their communities and the uptick of methamphetamine uh, arrests that are happening here in Iowa. I had our attorney general from Iowa, Brennan Bird, out in our office last week, and she was expressing the same challenges that, um, that she's seeing on the law enforcement front Um, and the prosecuting front. So um, this is an issue that is affecting every single state. Um, This is a border crisis that truly is ending up in everybody's backyard. It's making headlines this week that thousands of migrants have found a way to enter the U.S. in Lukeville, Arizona, in recent weeks, where there's a remote area of the southern border. Now you've got Democratic Governor Katie Hobbs sending a letter to the Biden administration expressing uh, concern about the administration's failure to address the southern border crisis and asking for $512 million in reimbursement from Washington to address it. Were you surprised to see these actions from a Democratic governor who's usually backing President Biden? And do you think we'll see this reimbursement ask be met by the federal government? Well, here's the thing about this situation. Everybody uh, wants to stand up for these sanctuary cities and tell it's their own backyard. And so we've seen these sanctuary city mayors and governors, in essence, Uh, from places like Los Angeles, New York, Chicago, Denver. So um, places that have typically tried to back the Biden administration's policy here. They've had to come to Congress now and ask for billions of dollars to help with this illegal immigrant crisis in their communities. And note, they have not, up until now, started to ask for any policy changes at the southern border to stem the flow of illegal immigration. And now they want taxpayers to foot the bill. So um, today it's Per $512 million, the $5 billion that the uh, mayors are asking for uh, tomorrow, the way I see it, it'll be $10 billion if we don't actually change the policies that incentivize illegal immigration. So uh, we need to take a look at the asylum policies in this country to make sure that people who um, are actually seeking asylum can do that. But we need to look at our legal immigration process. Uh, workforce is one of the, the most dominant issues that I hear about in my district. Uh, but we have to incentivize coming here the right way, not the wrong way. And uh, I, I know you certainly won't see me voting for any aid to these sanctuary cities or states. Let's talk about aid to our foreign allies. Uh, obviously, there's great debate in Washington over funding for Israel, funding for Ukraine. And obviously, Republicans have demanded some serious uh, tightening at the southern border if there's going to be funding for some of these other Um, priorities. And so I'm curious how you think this should play out in terms of funding for our allies and and addressing the situation at the border at the same time. Well, and and certainly this is an issue that I've talked a lot with Iowans about. Uh, They feel like the White House cares so much about places like Ukraine while caring very little about our southern border, right, which we just got done discussing. Um, And, you know, also on the minds of our constituents, the cost of groceries, gas, issues that 
impact our, our folks on an everyday basis. And unfortunately, the way I see it, the Biden administration has really failed on both domestic and foreign policy. And, and they're out of touch here, you know, touting Bidenomics while at the same time saying to every American they're going to be forced to buy an electric vehicle. And, oh, yeah, the southern border is secure, but we're going to send billions and billions of dollars uh, overseas to Ukraine. So I think uh, what I hear when I'm back home in the district is the frustration there about those priorities. So um, I think the, the cure here is returning to the doctrine of peace through strength. Um, and when we do have a Republican uh, president in the White House, I think we're going to be able to make our country strong again on the global stage. Um, but I do think we should be uh, considering packages, any package, whether it's a border package or aid to a foreign country, uh, consider it separately on their merits. Um, and so I'll be looking in the next couple of weeks as we continue to have these discussions about policy changes that are actually going to help to secure our southern border. Um, well, at the same time, I understand uh, how on the global stage that we don't want to let President Putin win the war in Ukraine. We need to stand up for our ally in, in the Middle East, in Israel, um, because those do have broader implications on the on the global stage. You mentioned a Republican president in the White House. Let's talk 2024, where Iowa is, of course, front and center on the Republican side of things, leading off as always in Iowa uh, with a little over a month until the Iowa caucuses. I'm curious what you're hearing from your constituents, from the people of the great state of Iowa about this presidential contest. Well, I can tell you one thing for sure. Uh, Iowans are ready to fire Joe Biden in 2024. Uh, we've talked even just in the last few minutes about some of the failures uh, coming out of his administration, sky high inflation, the open border challenge. Uh, we saw him bend over backwards to welcome, uh, you know, communist China, uh, President Xi to the U.S., um, he's the worst president of my lifetime, and um, that's what I hear from Iowans as well. America cannot afford another four years of Joe Biden. And so the caucuses, as you know, are a, a time-honored tradition. I'm sure you've spent many a day on the ground in Iowa covering caucuses over the years. Um, but joy. I think yeah. that it's a, it is a unique experience and a truly solemn responsibility that Iowans take very seriously. They vet the candidates, put them through the ringer on every issue that you can imagine. So um, it, it's been really fun to welcome all of these candidates to our state. Um, I've, I'm remaining neutral, so I continue to introduce candidates to uh, my constituents. And I think it is really important that everyone be able to lay out their vision to turn our country around. And so um, I, I know what I'm hearing from folks is we're going to unite behind our eventual nominee and we're going to work very hard to fire Joe Biden next year. The polls suggest it's not much of a contest. It's kind of a race for second place behind former President Trump. I had Governor DeSantis on TV with me this weekend, and he said, I don't believe the polls. He's done all 99 counties in Iowa. Um, I've been told that his ground game is solid. Do you think it's a competition? Do you think there's a real contest there, or do you think it's a fight for second place behind the former president? Well, I, I look at uh, polls, obviously, as uh, one metric, but I do hear from my constituents that they they want to hear from everyone. Right. So there are a lot of people who still have not made up their mind. Um, and I, I think everybody is uh, grateful for the work that President Trump did in his administration. But everybody wants to hear everybody's ideas. And I think, again, um, Iowans take that duty very seriously. So. You know, obviously, uh, you have a, a front runner in the polls, but uh, in the last couple of weeks, a lot of things can happen. Mm, indeed. OK, so in the House of Representatives, obviously, there was a big shakeup earlier this year. I'm curious, in your view, how things are working under new speaker Mike Johnson. And what do you think about Kevin McCarthy deciding that he's had enough in Congress? Yeah, well, I, I just spoke to Speaker McCarthy on Friday 
Um, I'm sad to see him go, and he's been a great friend and uh, mentor to me. Um, but uh, obviously, I, I don't fault him for wanting to leave after what those eight and all the Democrats did uh, to him earlier this year. Um, that said, I think uh, Speaker Johnson is doing uh, the best he can with what cards he was dealt this year. Um, he has the same challenges, a very narrow majority um, and a, a wide variety of viewpoints in our conference. And so I think he's doing a, a, an incredible job of navigating all of those challenges and is, is working within uh, <laughs> those challenging confines that a speaker finds themselves in. I do not envy him every single day, and I pray for him and his family every single day. Indeed. Um, if your constituents are frustrated by a lack of progress in terms of a conservative agenda, is part of the message that you need a, a bigger majority so you have a little bit better opportunity to pass the agenda through? Well, I think it's it's two ways here. We look at obviously growing our majority in the House so that we can build consensus and, and pass legislation. But it's also making sure we don't have a Senate that is blocking every good piece of legislation we do. Um, and a Republican in the White House would be helpful, too. So um, I'm doing everything I can to, to make that happen in the next year. Um, it's very clear, though, that uh, our House has been effective in, in passing legislation that's put the Biden administration not only on notice, but forced their hand in several situations. I actually think we do have a good leverage when it comes to uh, policy changes at the southern border, because as you mentioned, even Democrats now are starting to put pressure on the Biden administration to make changes. So even though we are uh, one part of government, we're one third of one third of government, I believe, if you look at it that way, um, but uh, we are doing everything we can to continue to enact good conservative policy in divided government. Congresswoman Ashley Hinson of the great state of Iowa. Grateful for your time today. Have a wonderful week. Thanks, Mike. Thanks for having me on. Cudlow on Fox Business is now on the go for podcast fans. Get key interviews with the biggest business newsmakers of the day. The Cudlow podcast will be available on the go after the show every weekday at foxbusinesspodcasts.com or wherever you download your favorite podcasts. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. Hey there, it's me, Kennedy. Make sure to check out my podcast, Kennedy Saves the World. It is five days a week, every week. Download and listen at foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. This is Rabbi Sam Bregman with your Fox News commentary coming up. It's harder to get up in the morning if you're up late the night before. And more Americans have been using melatonin supplements as a sleeping aid and using higher doses. And more kids are taking or being given melatonin, usually gummies, at bedtime. A study published in the Journal of the American Medical Association Pediatrics finds nearly one in five school-aged children had taken melatonin for sleep in the last month. It's more like one in 100 kids five years ago. Since it's considered a dietary supplement, not a prescription or over-the-counter drug, it's less strictly regulated by the Federal Food and Drug Administration. So melatonin is interesting because the body itself makes melatonin as part of its cycle of brain shutdown, brain rewind. Fox News medical contributor Dr. Mark Siegel. Besides seeing patients, he's a professor of medicine at New York University Langone Medical Center. By the way, a lot of cleansing goes on where basically the cerebral spinal fluid is kind of like a vacuum, vacuuming out debris from the brain during sleep. It's a restorative process. Melatonin tells the brain to do that. It's one of the hormones that tells the brain to do that. That's why if you eat a banana before you go to sleep or sour cherry juice, things like that, they cause your body to make more melatonin. They're converted into melatonin. As you get older, your body makes less melatonin, which is why 
it's thought to be fairly benign intervention to have elderly people take melatonin at night if needed before they go to sleep. It's more natural than, say, a sedative because that disrupts sleep cycles and can make elderly people more confused. Uh, a lot of what, you know, wine, for example, if you drink wine before you go to sleep or drink alcohol, that will suppress your brain function and put you to sleep. But when the wine or the uh, alcohol wears off, you wake up in the middle of the night. That's the cycle with that. Now, that's for elderly people, people, adults we're talking about, not children so far. Getting back to kids, what are the possible side effects, if any, on these underdeveloped brains and smaller bodies of melatonin? The issue with melatonin in kids is, do kids really need it? Uh, or what are you using it to counter? Is what you're using to, it to counter proper in the first place? you got to take an overall view of kids. And that's number one. You know, is And then what dosing are you using in kids is the biggest issue. I'm not a pediatrician, but pediatricians using melatonin with kids. And I believe melatonin is on the table for kids. They need, they need to use the exact right amount and it's got to be the proper product. But look, is the kid that you have on Adderall really need Adderall? If Adderall is disrupting sleep and sleep is making the kid more anxious, loss of sleep is making the kid more anxious, which leads you to believe since they can't focus that they need the Adderall, and then you're medicating the situation with melatonin or something stronger to reverse the Adderall. I want to look at the kid first in terms of lifestyle. What is the child doing during the day? Are they drinking too much Coca-Cola? I mean, that's got all the sugar. Uh, what is their caffeine intake? You know, what is their nicotine intake if they're using e-cigs or smoking? Uh, you know, again, the issue with alcohol, depending on the age of a kid, but there are certainly teens, we'd be talking how much alcohol. What are kids doing that you that you need feel the need to reverse? What's your pattern for your children for, for bedtime. They should always be going to bed at the, around the same time, for example. Are you being too permissive? Are you being too strict? Are they afraid of something? Are you talking about their fears? So overall, melatonin is, is well tolerated in kids if it's dosed properly, but it, it has to be uh, well thought of as why you're giving it. Yeah. And I assume uh, if you overdose it, like if you, if you go shopping for melatonin in, the, in stores, you'll see like most of the kid gummies are a milligram and maybe you give your kid one or two or milligrams depending on their age and their size where the adult doses tend to be more like three five ten milligrams other than just morning grogginess is there a problem with can you overdose on melatonin i guess is what i'm trying to say well melatonin can be associated with the following side effects headaches increased bedwetting nightmares dizziness mood changes morning grogginess you just said all of that are relatively minor because they're obvious um and so if you're having any of that, you're going to stop the melatonin. Um, if, you're give, if your kid's sleeping now because of something you give them, but they wake up groggy, you're going to look at why that is, and melatonin would be on your list. Same with headaches. Same with changes in mood or nightmares. you got to be asking those questions. That's why we don't jump to pills. Talk about the difference between, you, you mentioned um, sedatives and how you'd maybe recommend melatonin over a sedative. Talk about how that works is a natural substance, I guess, that the body produces anyway, versus Ambien, which is very powerful, and then stuff that's maybe in the middle, like your, you know, Tylenol PMs and Benadryls. I don't think kids should be having Ambien anyway, because it can lead to dissociation and, and hallucin 
hallucinatory behavior. And I, I, I don't think it's the right drug. I'm also against, and I've already said it before, but I'll be clearer. I don't want you to rev up a kid and then have to figure out another medication to calm them down. A kid is not a chemistry experiment. Yeah. Um, and, and, and as far as uh, benzodiazepams like Valium and Xanax and I'm I'm slow to give those to kids too, but for a different reason than I'm a, that I'm slow to give it to the elderly. I'm slow to give it to the elderly because uh, the, it can make elderly confused. It's less likely to make a child confused than an elderly person who got got already less cognitive reserve. Let's call it. Um, I'm sure everybody listening is thinking of one person in particular over the age of 80. We're wondering about cognitive reserve, but Elderly people have less cognitive reserve, and so they can become confused more easily. But young people, young children, might tolerate it without becoming confused. But what about their A-game? Is it dulling their A-game? Are they waking up groggy? Um, melatonin in some countries is regulated as a drug. Here, it's far less regulated as a supplement. Are there examples of drugs that, um, and maybe even goes the other way, drugs that we treat here uh, more harshly than in other countries that you think could be safely um, deregulated? And uh, is there a reason that countries in Europe say, consider melatonin uh, a drug instead of a supplement? Well, you know, Chris, you can hear my bias that I think everything's a drug. I think aspirin is a drug. I think that, uh, you know, that, that antibiotics are drugs. And to answer your earlier point, in Europe, there's a lot of places in Mexico where you can get antibiotics over the counter. In, in Mexico, you can actually get a drug that's like Adderall over the counter. So I, I don't think that there's a consistency in thought to this. Part of the problem here, and this is more political than medical, is that things evolved into over-the-counter substances earlier in the game, and then the FDA can't come along and restrict them. It's too late. They're already seen that way. So there's a lot of politics in determining that. If something came out now, People will say if aspirin just came out now instead of off of tree bark in the late 1800s, it would be it would be prescription only because it can cause bleeding. You mentioned cherry juice. Um, so that that works. And, so, and, and by, by and, the way, I didn't answer your earlier question, which is should melatonin be prescription only? Yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know the answer to that because I think it's a pretty natural treatment to give to the elderly who are making less of it. So I, I'm, I'm more I'm more comfortable with it over the counter for the elderly than for uh, than for the youth young for the ultra young. But in terms of the other point I'm, you're just emphasizing now is there's a lot of ways you can get it in food, tryptophans and melatonin. And it's converted to melatonin by the body. So, yes, yeah, sour cherry juice and 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 bananas. Bananas are loaded with tryptophan, valerian tea, uh, chava tea, uh, valerian root. That, those, those should all be tried. Valerian tea should be tried because it leads to melatonin increase. Yeah. I'm jumping around a little bit, but uh, just to, to end things on supplements in general, since they are, I don't know, I want to say un unregulated, but less regulated, um, how, what about the variance between them? I mean, you don't really know what's exactly in this stuff that you're taking. Whether, I mean, some, who knows how many milligrams of the active ingredient or what's meant to be the active ingredient are actually in something, for example. Well, you can judge that by side effects, but that's why I would start with a banana before going to a drug, or I would start with some tea. 
I mean, I, I have no problem with drinking tea at night. I almost don't care how much of the active ingredient is in tea. But when you start talking about a pill, and you, as you just said, you don't know exactly what you're getting, then you have to monitor it by seeing how you're, how you're tolerating, which I'm okay with. But in kids, you need a pediatrician that's really on top of this. Dr. Mark Siegel, Fox News medical contributor and professor of medicine at NYU Langone Medical Center. Dr. Siegel, good to talk to you again. Thanks. Great to talk to you, Chris. Thanks a lot. Here's a look at the week ahead. Monday, House Republicans may begin formalizing an impeachment inquiry into President Biden. Former President Trump will be back on the stand. He testifies in his own defense at his New York civil fraud trial. And trial begins on how much Rudy Giuliani will have to pay to two Fulton County election workers that he defamed after accusing them of fraud. Tuesday, disgraced former Congressman George Santos scheduled for a court appearance. He faces 23 felonies, including claims he defrauded donors, lied to election officials, and stole unemployment benefits. Wednesday, Hunter Biden is scheduled for a deposition before the House Oversight Committee, and the Fed's latest interest rate decision will be made. Thursday, Russian President Vladimir Putin will hold his annual news conference. On Friday, the Barbie movie premieres on the Max streaming service. And on Saturday, wreaths across America will place wreaths at the grave sites of our nation's veterans. And that's a look at your week ahead. I'm Kevin Uretsky, Fox News. I'm Benjamin Hall, Fox News correspondent and New York Times bestselling author. Join me for my brand new podcast, Searching for Heroes. Make sure you subscribe to this series wherever you download podcasts and leave a rating and review. Rate and review the Fox News Rundown on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. It's time for your Fox News commentary. Rabbi Sam Bregman. What's on your mind? For Jews around the world, this week marks the annual eight-day observance of the holiday of Hanukkah. As one might imagine, this holiday has taken on extra meaning this year, as it's the first Jewish holiday since the horrific October 7th attacks in Israel by Hamas and the subsequent war to return Israel's hostages and rid the land of terrorism. According to Jewish tradition, every holiday contains latent spiritual energies that one is able to access, corresponding to the essence and historical significance of the day. Hanukkah, for example, is deeply affiliated with the ideas of good versus evil, the power of light, and getting in touch with that spark of light inside ourselves that is willing to take on great battles and battle for justice and truth, even against the odds. Hanukkah is often thought of as the holiday of the underdog, referring to both the tiny jug of oil that should have lasted for only one day, but sufficed for eight to illuminate the menorah, as well as the military victory of the tiny Jewish army against a mighty Greek empire. In these days, let us draw upon the spirit of Hanukkah and honor every good-hearted person on earth from any walk of life who is willing to stand up against hatred, anti-Semitism, or any form of injustice. Even when there are forces at play aiming to confuse the truth, Hanukkah teaches us that the many can be delivered into the hands of the few, the strong can succumb to the weak, and there is more going on behind the curtain of world history than meets the eye. With all my heart, I join Jewish leaders worldwide in wishing you a happy Hanukkah and extend my wishes for much life and good health for all. I'm Rabbi Sam Bregman.
You've been listening to the Fox News Rundown. And now, stay up to date by subscribing to this podcast at foxnewspodcasts.com. Listen ad-free on Fox News Podcasts Plus on Apple Podcasts. And Prime members can listen to the show ad-free on Amazon Music. And for up-to-the-minute news, go to foxnews.com. I'm Charles Payne. Listen to my Unstoppable Prosperity podcast so I can get you making money right now. Whether stocks are hitting new all-time highs or in free-fall mode, opportunities abound. So why are so many potential investors still sitting on the sidelines? In a new season of my podcast, I'm going to get you in the game. After 38 years on Wall Street, I'm ready to impart some lessons and get you invested in the greatest wealth-generating machine in history. Listen anytime, everywhere at foxbusinesspodcast.com or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast.